0: We're turning together this morning to John's Gospel chapter 17. Uh, John, where we are uh, studying together uh, our Lord's high priestly prayer, as it is called. And may I ask you to stand as we're honoring the word this morning in the year of the word, John chapter 17 and beginning at verse 6 I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world they are yours you gave them to me and they have kept your word now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you for i have given to them the words which you have given me and they have received them And have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Thank you. You may be seated. Max Lucado tells about a lady and her husband who went on a winter vacation, a ski trip, Together, They awoke one morning uh, to find 12 degree below zero temperatures, hardly a day for snow skiing. Even Frosty the Snowman would have opted for a warm fire. But she understood his not wanting to go out alone, so she went. While waiting for the lifeline, Lucado writes, She realized that she was in need of a restroom, dire need of a restroom. Assured there would be one at the top of the lift, she and her bladder endured the bouncy ride, only to find there was no facility. She began to panic. Her husband had an idea. Why not go into the woods? Since she was wearing an all-white outfit, she would blend into the snow. And and what better powder room than a piney grove? What choice did she have? She skied past the tree line and arranged her uh, ski suit at half-mast. Fortunately, no one could see her. Unfortunately, her husband hadn't told her to remove her skis. Before you could say, shine on harvest moon, she was streaking backward toward the slope, revealing more about herself than she ever intended. With arms flailing and skis sailing, she sped under the very lift she had ridden and collided with a pylon. As she scrambled to cover the essentials, she discovered her arm was broken. Her husband raced to her rescue. He summons the ski patrol who transported her to the hospital. While being treated in the emergency room, a man with a broken leg was carried in and placed next to her. By now, she had regained enough composure to make a little small talk. So how would you break your leg, he asked. It was the darndest thing you ever saw, he said. I was riding in the ski lift and suddenly I couldn't believe my eyes. There was this crazy woman skiing backward at top speed. I leaned over to get a bit a better look and I guess I didn't realize how far I'd moved and I fell out of the lift. Then he turned to her and asked, "So how'd you break your arm?" <laughs> Have you ever gone through a period of time when you felt like things were out of control? If you are like me, you work hard at being in the driver's seat. Being a planner, I live by the dictum, plan your work and work your plan. The problem is that God and circumstances and people don't always cooperate with my plan. I suspect I'm not alone. On the night Jesus was arrested, the, 12, the 11 were poster children for life out of control. They watched as their hopes, dreams, futures vaporized before their eyes. The Lord's physical presence from the day they signed up to follow him his voice teaching his very demeanor had been the mainstay their reason literally for existence when peter said we have followed all we have left all to follow you he was not exaggerating in the last hour alone with the 11 The Lord prayed aloud for them in their presence. I hope you've experienced that. Having someone whom you love and respect to to pray for you aloud in your presence. You know, we all need that in one setting or another. He prayed for them before he called them. He prayed on their behalf during the three mentoring years. The question I posed this morning with just a few minutes left with them, final minutes before his arrest, why does he pray aloud for them in their presence now? Through the content of his prayer? He leaves them and us secrets for an inner directed life. What he says to the Father about them in two minutes will sustain them, would empower them, not just in the horrible 18 hours that lay ahead, but literally to the rest of their days. A few weeks ago. I asked a question. In a listening guide. I passed over. How many of the 11. Died violent deaths. For Jesus sake. We looked to Fox's book of martyrs. And other good sources on this. How many of the 11. Died violent deaths. For Jesus. You have a clue. This will be on the test. 10. Ten of the eleven. One of them died in old age after being um, exiled, after being boiled in oil, uh, Fox tells us. Who was that one who survived to old age? It was John, John the Apostle, who wrote uh, the Gospel of John. I remember a young lady uh, in her 40s as I remember it. Uh, who was given a diagnosis that she had only a few months to live. As an act of compassion, uh, her doctor sent a hospital uh, psychiatrist by to see her. And he said very kindly, he said, I have heard about your diagnosis. And I have come by to help you get in touch with your inner child. And she said, thank you, but that will not be necessary. I've been in touch with my Savior, Jesus Christ, and everything's going to be all right. She had inner resources, an inner directed life that bubbled up like an artesian well, sustaining her while the riptides of cancer swept her life away. You and I have those same resources. Jesus prayed for two things: He prayed for their preservation, and he prayed for their sanctification. I' very eager to talk about that word that really is quite unfamiliar to, to newcomers in Christ. "Holy Father, keep them through your name." While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. There are two different words in the original text translated, keep and kept. In 11, it means to defend. Keep them. Defend them through your name. Name represents the authority of the person described. Barack Obama, President of the United States. The Father's name represents His divine power. Through your power, defend them. In 12, there's a word meaning to guard or protect. While John does use them interchangeably, uh, there's a difference here, an important difference. The first term means to protect or defend by internal means. And the second means to protect from external attack so taking them together jesus prayed for complete absolute deliverance within and without none of them is lost he tells the father the safety he prays for reaches far beyond physical protection We do see the the father's provision in that. The disciples broke and ran when Jesus was arrested. You remember they were allowed to escape. But the greater danger was that under extreme pressure they would abandon the faith. They persevered. You see them in the latter part of this gospel together on resurrection evening in a church service. In answer to the master's prayer, they persevered amid internal and external attack. With one exception, the son of perdition. This term may be translated, one doom for destruction. It's telling to note that it is found only in one other place in the New Testament. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3, where this term is used, of Antichrist. He said earlier, did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He was speaking of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Where in the scriptures do you ever find a saved devil? That's like a giant shrimp, a real oxymoron. This is important. There isn't a shred of evidence in Scripture that Judas Iscariot was a born-again person who, by his own failure, was lost and ended up estranged from God in hell. Not one shred of evidence that he was finally lost. In 1 John... John sets forth a rebuttal of uh, Gnostics. Gnostics believed and taught they had a special relationship with God apart from Christ. And uh, on a tirade, really, John sets forth tests of true salvation. Judas did not meet one of those the unequivocal testimony of the Gospels is that Judas rejected God's gracious invitation and died without Christ, never a believer. The lesson of his life is that a profession of faith in Christ means nothing. From all outward appearance, Judas was no different from the eleven. Remember when he said to them on one occasion, when Jesus said, one of you will betray me. You know, all the fingers did not go to Judas. Aha, we knew it all the time. No, they said, is it I? Is it I? Judas conformed outwardly. Good works or a moral life means nothing apart from saving faith. And genuine saving faith change one's, changes one's character and life orientation. All things are new, Paul says. Jesus prayed that his followers would be preserved spiritually. That they would persevere through the horrendous years that lay ahead. He said, I, have given, I give them eternal life and they shall what? They shall never perish the golden gate bridge in san francisco is the world's largest bridge it was built in 1937 at the horrific cost of 77 million dollars during the first half of construction 23 laborers workers fell to their deaths During construction of the second half, a net was installed at a cost of $100,000. Ten men fell and were saved by the net. You know, as I look at that net, uh, the fall might not have killed me, but landing on that net, knowing what was below, I would probably have died of a heart attack. How about you? But not one person fell to their death. The interesting fact was that workers who worked with the security of the net worked 15 to 25 percent faster. Experts concluded that workers released from insecurity and the fear of falling were free to give their attention, their time, and energy to their work and did it faster and better. Jesus said, if any man be free, any person be free, he shall be free indeed. Oh, the security that we have in Christ. So we can go on and do His will. You know, if you got that covered, everything's going to be okay. A bumper sticker said, God loves you, but don't let it go to your head. God loves you unconditionally and eternally. And let it go to your head and your heart and your hands and your feet and your voice. And as a faithful pastor, I have to say, let it go to your checkbook. (laughs) Legalism says production is acceptance. Grace says acceptance is acceptance. Paul concludes Romans 8 with a glorious challenge. Since God is for us... Who can be against us? And when you're harassed by a temptation, when you're torpedoed by sin, when you feel like giving up, rejoice that he has a firm grip on you. There's a difference between him having a firm grip on you and you having a firm grip on him. No man shall pluck them out of my father's hand, he says. Larry, what you're teaching this morning gives license to sin. Oh, no. You don't understand what Jesus prayed, and you don't understand grace. Grace is grace is grace. If it's anything less, it is not grace. And the response is not a lackadaisical attitude, the response is love, it is surrender. Jesus placed the Father's name on the line in saving and keeping you. And that promise is written in Jesus' blood, and his blood will never fade. He prays for their protection. But notice also he prayed for their sanctification. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Then the closing of verse 19, that they may be sanctified by the truth. Sanctification is a, is a misunderstood doctrine. Ironically, sincere believers who make salvation by works and security by works make sanctification a work with perfection as its goal. I don't know about you, but I gave up on sinless perfection a long time ago. Heard about one guy stood up in a testimony meeting and said, I want to announce to you folks that I have not committed a sin in 25 years. You know, I'd go to another church, I couldn't stand the pressure of that. Perfection or some superior level of spirituality cannot be the meaning or jesus could not say in verse 19 i sanctify myself the term literally means to separate or to set apart sanctification is the work of the holy spirit whereby a believer is set apart from the world system its values its thinking to god and to his purposes did you catch two aspects it is from it is also to this word here this word was used very commonly in the new testament not just by christians describing the process by, of making something clean and then setting it aside for special use in worship now the tar- the, the center of the target as you talk about this great truth of Scripture, is the Father's character. Did you notice in verse 11 how Jesus addressed the Father? Holy Father, only time in the New Testament. Because the Father's absolute holiness and righteousness, as you are being made more like Christ, you are increasingly set apart from the world system unto God, positionally and practically. Somebody tells a story of a man who bought an expensive painting of Jesus. When he brought it home, he couldn't decide the right place to hang it. So he hired first a decorator and then an architect who concluded that there was no place in the house for this magnificent painting. What was needed was a brand new house. The Father's holiness through the work of the Holy Spirit permeates your heart and your mind. He is in the business of building you into a new house. Amen? Amen. He's not refurbishing, he's building a new house. That is sanctification. And the more like Jesus you are in your character, in your perspective, in your actions, the more you get in trouble with people around you that Jesus calls the world. The more alert you are to the lies and the errors, the less you accept ideas around you, uh, of people around you, the things they take for granted. You just don't fit. You don't march to the same drum. Expect that. That's become increasingly true, isn't it? Not just in the legislature, but on the job, everywhere you are. I have at least six types of knives at my house. Uh, This is one of them. I have hunting knives and utility knives. I have big utility, small utility. I have, uh, I have a, a fish filleting knife. That one has rust on it. But this is one. I was... Um, I was doing a little job, and you know when I say that I was doing a, a little plumbing job in the kitchen, you know it was a very small job. But I was up under there and looking at the pipes, you know, and I was trying to get this thing keep from leaking, and I needed a knife. So I reached up in the silverware drawer. Mary was also in the kitchen, and I got a knife like this to use in my Very small plumbing job. You know, Mary helped me in very plain terms to understand that this is a sanctified knife. This is not a utility knife. It's not even a hunting knife. It is a knife. And I'm very pleased about this. That I have a knife that is set aside for a very specific purpose. And so it is. You get the point. That we have been set aside positionally in Christ, and as we're being made into a new house, we are progressively being set apart and setting and being set aside. Now the question is: Is how does it happen? What is the means for this glorious transformation? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. At the Passover meal, he said, you are clean through the word I've spoken to you. I'll admit to you that in my preparation that this is the point of the message at which I struggle. Kevin alluded to this this morning in our class. We have Bibles everywhere, don't we? Uh, in the mission I'm involved with in Uganda, there are uh, there are pastors who come to class who don't even own a Bible. Pastors, we have the privilege of having the Bible in our uh, in our own language. You say, doesn't everybody? Wycliffe knows best. What, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? And we know we are, me, we are moving from, a, we're, uh, from being a print culture to a media culture. We, we know all of this. And, you know, I find myself uh, having my devotional time several times a week now on my iPad. That would have been radical a few years ago, you know. What do we do with this? God's written word is the tool, the means whereby we are being set apart unto him. Here's the the brunt of it for me, and I've been doing this a while. The key to sanctification, the key to being set apart unto God so as to, to live out his purposes, the key to that is thinking God's thoughts after him. The written word is an inspired GPS system guiding and protecting you in a world laced with lies. And sometimes those lies show up in the strangest places, don't they? This is a quotation displayed prominently at Ripley's Aquarium at um, Gatlinburg. It's from that great theologian, Captain Nemo, from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Anybody remember that? The sea is a vast reservoir of nature. It was through the sea that the earth, so to speak, began. How many families, how many individuals do you think see that quotation in a year's time in Gatlinburg? Hundreds of thousands, maybe millions. How many look at that and just accept that? How many people who name the name of Christ look at that and say, oh, oh, okay. Look over here. The more and more we are grounded in Scripture, the more that our truth detector goes off in the presence of lies. I don't know what yours says. I I don't know what yours says. Jesus is saying in prayer, keeping your head on straight, your priorities intact, your thoughts upward to God. It is only possible through and by divine revelation because this book defines reality. Reality. lot of discussion. What is reality? Who sets reality? Is it an Islamic reality? Is it a Hindu reality? Is it? Jesus Christ said that this book is the barometer, is the revelation of reality. Life as it really is. Eternity as it really is. I heard about a guy who got up every morning, looked into a full length mirror, and sang two verses of How Great Thou Art. What defines reality for you? Is it a culture around you? Is it what people are saying? What, what, what defines reality? What are your guiding principles? Where are they coming from? Jesus takes us back to the Word. The Word, again, what do we say about that? I, I don't know how to drive this home as I would like to. I don't know how. In a Sunday morning American audience, I don't know how. The opportunities we have to study it together with others, to read it, To learn, to feed ourselves, letting it guiding our thoughts, our attitudes, our decisions at a time when we are being bombarded. Mary and I get up in the morning, she goes to a particular room, I go to another room, and we begin the day by getting into the Word, by recalibrating our lives anew at the beginning of a day. looking to see what was next. (laughs) There was a man whose business uh, took him um, to a nearby town. Uh, There was a mountain between home and that town, and leading up to that mountain, there was a long straightaway. uh, And having an old vehicle, he found that he had to get up as much steam as he could to get over the mountain, to do business in the other town. One day on his way to the neighboring town as he approached the straightaway and he had to pedal to the metal and he was getting up the RPMs, barreling down the straightaway, he happened to notice two vehicles coming his way on a perpendicular road, crossing his road. Two vehicles. Well, he had up this head of steam. He wasn't about to try to pull back and get stopped. But he noticed that there was just enough space to go between them. That'll work. So as he was barreling along, he timed himself. And sure enough, there was space. Not too much space, but enough space. And he went between them. He woke up in the hospital, battered and bruised. The first vehicle was towing the second vehicle. He realized he had made a life-threatening mistake. He tried to separate two things that were meant to go together. When you think about your life, whether it be in control or out of control, whether you're in transition, wherever you are, there are two truths that are meant to go together. You are eternally secure in Christ. And the second truth is that this inspired word, you note in your listening guide, I've quoted Second Timothy 3.16, that phrase is inspired of God, one word, literally God breathed. It is the word which is the source of light and guidance and power and strength and It's a divine warning system and it has the very power of God in an English translation to transform you, to make you to be everything God wants you to be. Remember children's church. Few years ago, remember we used to sing this song. uh, He's still working on me. Remember that he's making me what he wants to be. Yeah, he's still working on me. He's still working on you. And the way he does that is through his word. May God help us as a church. May God help us in our families. May God help us at every life, at every level of our life, to truly be people of the book for we are coming to a time in American culture we are coming to a time where this book will be very very fresh to us perhaps in a way that we've never known it in our generations all for the accomplishment of a divine purpose As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. That's our assignment. That's our joy. That's our our calling. So let's leave this morning challenged by the fact that if you know Christ, if you genuinely know Christ, you're eternally secure in Him. And the fact that we've been given this lifeline in our language, <laughs> this word set them apart unto yourself by your truth. Your word is.